This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Late Boomers, our podcast guide to creating your third act with style, power, and impact. Hi, I'm Kathy Worthington. And I'm Mary Elkins. Join us as we bring you conversations with successful entrepreneurs, entertainers, and people with vision who are making a difference in the world. Everyone has a story, and we'll take you along for the ride on each interview, recounting the journey our guests have taken to get where they are, inspiring you to create your own path to success. Let's get started. Kathy Worthington. Welcome to our latest episode of Late Boomers. Today, our guest is Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach, weight loss expert, public speaker, and podcast host, who is on a mission to help people look and feel their best without confusion, frustration, or stress. And I'm Mary Elkins. Brooke does nutrition coaching to help people lose that five to 50 pounds for the very last time. Her podcast is called The Health Investment Podcast. Welcome, Brooke. Thank you so much for having me, Kathy and Mary. I'm excited to be here. We're delighted to have you. And we always like to ask our guests how they got started on their career paths. What What were your early influences or mentors? And how did you find this calling? Right. Yeah. I always ask the same on my show. I, it's kind of this little story time that's fun, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Hearing someone's yeah. background. Uh, so I guess my path is kind of a windy one, as I'm sure many people can relate to. Um, but I was born and raised in Mesa, Arizona. My mom was a teacher and my dad had his own business. And I spent obviously a lot of time seeing their work, a lot of time in my mom's classroom and then at my dad's car car dealership. So I think teaching and business were kind of two professions I was familiar with. And I started out majoring in education and kind of taking that route. And after college, ended up moving to New York City, my favorite place in the Uh, world, still live there forever. (laughs) We'll probably move back someday. Uh, But I taught for 12 years. I had a 12-year teaching career. Uh. And at the same time, so after college and throughout my 20s, there was also a lot of kind of stuff happening to me physically. I never really gained the freshman 15 in college, but When I was in my 20s and I started my career, I gained about 15, 20 pounds, depending on the day. And I also just felt kind of bloated and tired and hungry all the time. Or I guess people would say hangry was more like it Uh because I was kind of irritable (laughs) and just not my best. So I did what most people and I think most listeners can relate to is a lot of Googling looking on social media, kind of what should I do to feel better? And I tried a lot of stuff. I tried exercising a bunch, doing a lot of cardio, counting calories at one point, juice cleansing. I mean, you name it, I probably tried it, but nothing I did really helped me lose the weight, keep it off long-term, and ultimately just have the high energy and the confidence I craved. Um, So I guess 
it was sort of normalized to me that once you start working and aging, you start to feel this way where you're just tired more or you gain weight. So I kind of chalked up my symptoms to aging and teaching. And, oh, wow. yeah. you know, just a lot of my colleagues and friends commented that they felt the same. So I thought maybe this is just kind of a natural part of life. Um, but I would say I had a couple of aha moments in my late 20s. So I met my now husband and just happenstance, we were on a flight from New York back to California to visit family. And my TV was broken. I was not prepared for that. I had nothing to do. But he had brought a book along called Fitness Confidential that was written by a celebrity trainer, Vinnie Tortorich. And I ended up reading the book cover to cover on that flight. And in the book, he recommends following what he calls NSNG, which is no sugar, no grains to lose weight and just feel your best. And I had never tried that. So I thought, what do I have to lose? And I just kind of started giving up the grains and a lot of the refined sugar that I had been used to eating. And much to my surprise, after just a few months, I was able to drop the weight I'd gained. I lost the bloat around my midsection. I didn't feel tired and hungry all the time. And I guess that was when I had my second aha moment, which was that it's 100% possible to look and feel your best in spite of aging or any career choice. And it really boils down to making small, gradual nutrition and lifestyle tweaks. And, you know, I learned I could feel better and I could look better at 29 than I did at 22, which I didn't think was possible. So I ended up really spiraling down a rabbit hole of podcasts and articles and books. I was determined to learn everything I possibly could about nutrition and health. And I eventually enrolled in the Institute of Transformational Nutrition to Hmm. become a certified nutrition coach. So I was still teaching at this time. This was really kind of a passion project, a hobby. What grade were you teaching or what subject? Yeah. So I started off teaching middle school English for three years, and then I taught high school English for eight years. Wow. English. Yeah. (laughs) But when I was learning more, I just wanted to tell everybody about everything I was learning. And, you know, some people wanted to listen more than others. So I started a blog and I really thought at first, this was just going to be kind of a side project and I would maybe coach clients while teaching. But when my husband and I decided to move from New York City out to California to be closer to our family, uh, it was kind of the clean slate, the fresh start, the impetus to leave my teaching career and pursue my passion and kind of to try my hand at the other profession I'd watched growing up in my dad owning a business. Um, So yeah, the health investment was born in the summer of 2019. And since then I've worked with clients one-on-one, but I've also started a podcast and I created a monthly membership site earlier this year. So I'd say it's just kind of growing and growing, but ultimately my goal through everything I do is just to spread the word that it's really not helpful to focus on things you can't control, like aging. (laughs) Uh There's so much you can do 
to look and feel better now, even than you did 10 years ago. And you actually don't have to go to any of the extremes. Like I first did, I mentioned, I kind of cut out sugar and grains. I don't Uh do that anymore. I don't restrict those um, Uh through research. And, you know, over the years, I've realized that's not necessary. Uh, But yeah, it's absolutely possible to show up as your trimmest, healthiest, most energized, confident self, I'd say, while enjoying all foods and living life to the fullest. That's so fantastic. And tell us what the 3A approach to weight loss is all about. Right. So through, yeah, through all of my trial, error, and research and coursework, that was about 10 years. Um, I mentioned I was really on this path to determine how do you lose weight? How do you feel your best? And how is it sustainable without doing any of these diets or extremes that we see? And what I ended up figuring out is it really boils down to three A's, as you said. Um, I think that's the teacher in me. I always like coming up with little mnemonic devices or acronyms to help people remember things. That's great though. Very smart. Oh, thanks. <laughs> but <laughs> the three A's are awareness, attitude, and accountability. And I can discuss each of those in greater detail. But really what I want people to understand is that most diets and programs out there are missing one, two, or even all three of those things, which is why most people are never able to lose weight in the first place or keep it off long-term, you have to have all three. So the first one is awareness. And that really just means you don't know what you don't know. You have to learn what actually works for weight loss and maintenance. And when you try to figure it out on your own, you can be misled. There's so many mixed messages out there really what works is quite simple. So it's just helpful to have some type of expert or guide to show you these are the things that actually work. And this is where you should be putting your energy so that you have that awareness and that education and you're able to ignore all of the nonsense (laughs) that just surrounds us all the time. Yeah. So that's the awareness piece. Attitude is the second A. And when it comes to sustaining, this is really more about maintenance, I would say. When it comes to sustaining your goal weight, what you do obviously matters. So meaning in your day-to-day, your habits, what you're eating, you know, any type of actions you're taking on a day-to-day basis, those certainly matter. But for weight maintenance in the long-term your mindset, your attitude is absolutely critical. I would even say sometimes that's more important than the actions you're taking because without the right mindset, you're not going to be able to sustain your success long-term. So for example, I'm thinking when I'm on social media and I see people posting ruined my diet today or diet starts Monday. That's not a helpful, (laughs) that's not a helpful mentality to to have again, long-term sustainable success. You're not 
bad. You're not wrong for eating a scoop of ice cream. You didn't cheat on your diet. So when I'm talking about attitude and mindset, it's really breaking out of those kind of limiting beliefs that don't serve you. And then the final A is really the big one (laughs) is accountability. And again, I just think we, in our lives, when our car breaks, we go to a mechanic, or if we are having marital issues, we may seek out a therapist, but then we're going to experts for different areas. But then when it comes to something like eating healthier or weight loss, a lot of people turn to Google or what their friend's cousin tried that they saw on Facebook. And, you know, they're taking shots in the dark and they're probably never finding the guidance and support they need to expedite their goals, to reach success quicker, and again, to sustain it long-term. And research has actually shown that accountability can boost someone's odds of success by up to 95%. So that would be with a close friend or a relative accountability. Yeah, it could be. Or of course, with a coach, if you have a coach, right? I was going to ask that too. Yeah, some people are really good at self-accountability, holding themselves accountable. But I would say most people thrive when they have some form of external accountability, like you mentioned, whether it's a friend or a family member or a coach checking in and kind of supporting them and holding them accountable along the way through their journey. Um, And I would say that's the number one word I hear when people sign up to work with me one-on-one or sign up for my membership. It's just, I need someone to hold me accountable and to guide me to what works, what doesn't work, but then to check in with me every so often Mm -hmm. and help me stick to these habits that I've said I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah, On on the note of, but what works, what doesn't work, what are some of the common misconceptions people have about weight loss? There are a ton, (laughs) I would say. (laughs) Um, That's a doozy, but I, so the first one that I'll tackle here that I hear a lot is that exercise is the best way to lose weight. And I see people, especially now, you know, it's the trendy thing. It's the Peloton (laughs) through COVID. (laughs) Everyone was getting a Peloton and there's nothing wrong with a Peloton, right? I mean, that's amazing if you enjoy cycling and connecting with that community. And that could be a way to hold yourself accountable. So I'm in no way saying exercise is bad. It's amazing for your mental health, for your heart health, for your overall health, but it shouldn't be your go-to for weight loss. And that's a common misconception out there. That's a mistake a lot of people are making. When weight loss is your goal, nutrition is where you should be putting your, your focus first and foremost. Yeah. Other things factor in as well, like how much sleep you're getting or how you're managing your stress, but nutrition is huge. So still move your body and exercise a bunch, love exercise, not saying it's bad, but I don't know if you've heard, you know, the trite phrase, you can't out exercise a bad diet. That's completely true. A lot of the isms out there about you know, nutrition and weight loss aren't true, but that one is. <laughs> that one. Oh yeah. Years ago, I had one of the original Stairmasters, mm. the big, massive one that's a moving stairway. It's not little pedals. It's an actual stairway. Oh, right. And I know 
you would sweat so much and you feel like you burn so much. But really, if you looked up how many calories you actually burned, you better watch out what you ate that day because you can't burn up even doing that all the calories you ate. Right. And yeah, that's another one that's tough because people on their Apple watches or Fitbits or on those cardio machines, it'll tell you you've burned a certain number of calories. And then sometimes not even knowing it, people will just end up consuming more calories because they'll think, oh, I had this big workout today. I actually need to eat a ton to make up for that. So they might still be eating in a calorie surplus even when they're doing all of the exercise all of the time. Um, so that can be, yeah, that's something definitely to be aware of. Uh, I would say another misconception that I see a lot is that you have to count something <laughs> to lose weight. So calories and macros come to mind. Right. Obviously, calories. Can you explain mac- what macros are? I don't know that term. Yeah. Macros is just a short, shortened term for macronutrients. So it's protein, carbohydrates, and fat. So people think that they need to have the perfect balance or they need to count how many grams of each they have. And there's calorie and macro counting apps that can help you with this. Um, And they have great marketing teams because I see them spreading this idea everywhere that you have to have our app to lose weight. You have to count (laughs) something. You have to log every bite of food. And I personally, that's not an approach I want to take. I have nothing against those apps if they help people and people are served by them and they're losing weight and it's not kind of a burden. Um, but what I, the message I like to spread is that you actually don't have to count anything. You do need to be in a moderate calorie deficit to lose weight, but you can do that by having a general understanding of how the three macronutrients affect your hunger and your satiety. And you can, you know, lose weight without logging things, if you will. You can break up with the apps if you want. It's a hundred percent very cool. But you need you need those macronutrients though. You need the proteins and the car and the carbs yeah. and the fruits and you need the whole gamut of it to you remain do. healthy. You do. You need them all and you just don't have to kind of be feel like you if you're not using an app like everyone else is using that you're doing uh-huh. it wrong. Um, yeah. and again, that's where guidance comes in from someone like me or another nutritionist or dietitian to help you figure out the basics and, you know, the basics are really what work. And so it doesn't have to get so complicated. Why do you think people get stuck in the yo-yo dieting cycle? So I think there's so many reasons, but I think the big one is that they, don't really know what else to do. So they do these diets. And again, a lot of people are doing them and there's always a new one. (laughs) There's always, Mm -hmm. you know, keto today is what Atkins was. Mm -hmm. There's always new names for things. So they're trying out of their best intentions, these things that make all of these promises. But what happens is that these diets, these yo 
you know, you end up in this yo-yo dieting cycle because these are one size fits all approaches that probably don't work that well for your unique likes, dislikes, time constraints, culture, lifestyle, and they're not sustainable long-term. So you do something you're successful for a little bit, maybe you lose 15 pounds, but then it starts to become very burdensome and your willpower wanes. And then you go back to your regular eating pattern, you gain the 15 pounds back. And then when the next diet comes along that seems intriguing, you start that one, you lose the weight again, then you gain it back. And it's just, there's so many words for it, yo-yo roller coaster, but it's hard to break out of unless you have someone kind of sifting through the noise for you and saying, don't do all of these things, do these simple, basic habits forever. And those are what will help you lose weight, keep it off and attain optimal health. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My husband used to be a yo-yo dieter and he would, he would go on binges where he would say, I'm only eating soup and salad. And I would say, it's not healthy. He said, I'm losing weight and he would lose weight and he would look great. And then once he got to his goal, he'd just eat again and get heavy again. And it never occurred to him that he needed to have like a a real plan and not to really quote unquote diet, but to have a lifestyle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned a word there that, um, you know, the yo-yo diet cycle can also be likened to this binge restrict cycle where you, the binge phase doesn't necessarily need to be kind of as intense as it sounds of, you know, it's not an eating disorder necessarily a binge eating (laughs) disorder, but you know, that's what kind of my mind goes to sometimes when I think binge, but really Mm -hmm. the binge piece of the cycle is you're kind of eating whatever it's your normal habits, but then maybe you're gaining weight and then you decide, okay, I'm going to restrict something. So I'm like your husband, I'm only going to eat X and Y. So you do that for a short time, but it's not sustainable. So then you go back to the binge piece where you're back in your normal habits, you're eating whatever, then you have to restrict again. And it just, again, it yo-yos back and forth from binge to restrict. And that's not healthy nor helpful, really. Yeah. Um, You talked earlier about attitude and we've talked to other types of coaches who mentioned changing your mindset. Can you tell us again more about why this is so critical in keeping weight off and what what are the mindset shifts that people really need to make? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I would, you know, I said before your habits are certainly important. And I think again, in my three, a approach, it's the awareness attitude and accountability. So maybe you're even following some plan and you're gaining some awareness of what's actually working. But if you're not tackling the attitude, the mindset piece, it's going to be really tough to have that lifestyle. Like you just mentioned to break out of the dieting phase and be able to say it's a lifestyle, not a diet and really changing behaviors can be a lot easier than changing your mindset. Because if you think about where you got all of these ideas, they've been ingrained in you from when you were a small child, from what parents used to say about nutrition or weight loss or weight gain messages you've gotten from TV shows or movies or social media. So 
breaking out of existing mindsets is tough, but it's not impossible. So I'd say there's two kind of critical mindset shifts that can be real game changers if you're able to adopt and embrace these. The first one is that you're only ever aiming for progress, not perfection. And I think a lot of these diets out there, they give you strict rules and it's kind of you're on the diet or you're off and people feel like they have to be perfect in order to see results. And that is not going to serve you long-term because no one is perfect. No one can eat perfectly in the real world. Real life is always going to get in the way. And it's really switching to this idea of as long as you take consistent, imperfect action, you will ultimately have success and you'll be more sustainable than trying to reach some perfect ideal that you've made up in your mind. Um, so that would be, Oh, thank you. (laughs) So that would be the first one. And then I think another very, very important mindset that my clients embrace and end up really loving is that foods aren't good or bad. And once we stop labeling foods as good and bad, and we stop making things so black and white, then we stop labeling ourselves as good or bad for eating something. And when you label yourself as bad, that ends up probably spiraling into a lot more thoughts of shame and guilt about eating a cookie or whatever it is. So instead of thinking cookie good, or sorry, cookie bad, (laughs) broccoli good, thinking on of every food, just on a continuum of more nutritious and less nutritious. And then Uh we're taking away kind of the, the weight, pun intended, if you will, of, you know, what our choices mean and what, how they reflect on us. And it's also removing that idea of I'm cheating on my diet because I'm bad. And you're just trying to eat most of the time, the most nutritious foods and just some of the time, less nutritious foods. So it's not bad if you eat ice cream, it's just this thought of, oh, I had something that was less nutritious how can I get more nutrients in then for the rest of my day um, to kind of balance that out? Is I that, love that. I do. I do too. Is that, is that like when we were little children, when your parents would say, eat your dinner and then you can have dessert? Uh, yeah. And I actually follow many, and I've interviewed on my podcast, actually a pediatric dietitian, And a lot of them suggest kind of D- I don't know, mystifying or sweets and making them less off limits or making them less of kind of this treat you get only if you eat your vegetables. And even with kids at a young age, they'll even introduce something like a few M&Ms on the dinner plate. So it's not so much that you've eaten all the good stuff and now you get to eat kind of the bad treat. It's just kind of food is food. And then having the conversation at the dinner table of, Let's look at all the things on your plate. You know, you've got this nutritious broccoli. You also have some M&Ms that aren't going to, you know, give you the same kind of muscles or, you know, whatever you say to kids, but it's just having these conversations about nutrition and nutrients instead of 
you know, treats and indulgences and the language I think is so important. That is true. When my daughter was real little toddler and, and just learning to eat all the foods I had, I made all the vegetables into things that were fun Mm. and she didn't get rewarded with dessert at the end of it, but, but it was like the vegetables were fun, like a broccoli, Mm -hmm. a broccoli, yeah, cut little florets and she put the broccoli in her mouth the owl flew off and the owl would go (laughs) and cauliflower was crow trees and the the crow would go and she just loved it and she ate so many vegetables (laughs) I kept telling my friends just try this just try this does she still do that today when she eats broccoli (laughs) uh, probably not she'd probably hate that I even did that but yeah and then when I introduced things like tortellini with pesto sauce and she, that became her favorite food because Timmy and Lisa tortellini would go wee when they went down your throat. Wow. You know, she, so you, that's really cool. You are onto yeah. these strategies. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. That meant I could take vegetables with me in a little baggie to the restaurant. So when you ordered her pasta with butter, she's still eating broccoli because I mm. brought it with me. Right. That's so, cool though. That's really cool. There are all these little tricks for teaching kids. Yeah. And, and the earlier they learn that, the better, because my daughter is a spectacular eater now. Mm. She's, yeah. she's turned 30 and she's a, she loves to eat vegetables and all kinds of, you know, good stuff. Yeah. That's amazing. But it did pay off, <laughs> you know, long-term. <laughs> um, and how did you decide to do a podcast? I know your podcast is called the health investment podcast on the subject. And what has been your feedback on that? It's the feedback's been really good. Um, so I mentioned, I do more of a focus on weight loss and nutrition with my clients and in my membership, but for the podcast, I wanted to kind of take a broader scope of all of the things health and wellness related. So I've had guests tackling topics like weight loss and nutrition and sleep and stress management, but I've also had people on to talk about decluttering and organization, for example, Um, because when you have a lighter home, as this woman calls it, you kind of make space for healthier habits. Uh, (laughs) Mary and I are signing up for that part. Yeah, we are. We need help. Right. She's, she was a recent episode. Um, I would highly recommend listening. Tracy Showalter was her name. So I'd highly recommend that. Um, but yeah, I've had people on to talk about mindset and really the episodes just run the gamut. But my goal with the podcast and why I started it was because I just wanted people to have a space where they could come and not be bombarded with all the nonsense again that they find out there on Google or social media and I really vet gets guests and make sure they're well-educated. They're not going to come on and say something crazy that really doesn't work. And it's just maybe their belief and not research-based. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I guess the, the initial idea to start a podcast, we were talking a bit off air of, I didn't really understand what I was getting into. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a beast. It's a, it's a lot of work, as you know, and I enjoy it tremendously, but it is a whole lot of work. Um, but yeah, it's good. And don't you love the people you get to meet? Like we're meeting you now, but we meet so many interesting people doing this. Yes, I, I agree. I say, I feel every time I have an episode, like I've gone back to college and I'm in this incredible lecture and I just learn so much. 
and I love learning. So it's a great way for me to also kind of sharpen the saw and always be staying on top of the latest research when it comes to metabolism and weight loss and exercise and things like that. Oh, Mm. yeah, that's so true. Um, Hope upon hope. When it talks, when you talk about sustainable weight loss, is there a magic pill? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was hoping you'd say yes. (laughs) It might not be the one you're thinking though. (laughs) There isn't a physical, you know, fat burning supplement pill, um, but there is consistency. I would just say consistency is the magic pill. If you do things over and over and over, the habits that will help you lose weight and feel your best, I would say, you know, making small, gradual changes. And again, doing things that work for your lifestyle. You don't have to eat in the exact same eating pattern as someone else. If you don't like kale and somebody's saying, make this kale salad, it's delicious. It's going to help you feel better. And you hate kale. Don't eat kale. Like, let's not be eating things we don't like or doing things that are impossible for our lifestyle. So it's about figuring out those small gradual changes you can make that work for you so that you can stay consistent because that is ultimately the magic pill. I love (laughs) that answer. Is that what you would have thought? No, (laughs) but I'm, I, I wondered if there was an answer like to that question. And I, I love your answer. Thank you. Which nutrition mistakes do you find that most clients are making before they work with you? Yeah. So nutrition mistake, I would say the big one is that clients, mostly women, um, end up working with me, but men too, aren't eating enough protein. So going back to our brief discussion on macronutrients, macros, um, protein is one of the three macronutrients out of protein, carbs, and fat, and it's the most filling of the three. So when you don't eat enough protein, that's why you end up feeling super hungry, snacky late at night. People may even go as far as to thinking they're addicted to food or you know, addicted to sugar. And my clients are just in absolute awe when they start prioritizing protein at every meal and snack and just watching their cravings kind of melt away. They're not feeling ravenous after dinner. They're not reaching into the cupboard and grabbing cookies or whatever it is late at night or any time of the day because their bodies are actually feeling full and getting, you know, that macronutrient that it's really craving. Are there Mm. any particular proteins that you would recommend over others? So again, it's really individualized. So there's so many options, obviously animal protein, you can get protein through dairy, uh, eggs. There are higher protein pastas now, even like pastas made with chickpeas, um, Lentils are high in protein, tofu, if somebody is more kind of plant-based fish, there are so, so many. So it's not even that you have to eat certain proteins. Animal protein does give you the most bang for your buck. And if you are following an all plant-based eating pattern, it could be a little trickier to hit your daily protein goal, but it's not impossible. So just, I would say 
anything, <laughs> anything that you enjoy uh, and that fits in with kind of, you know, your beliefs about how you want to eat, that is a good protein for you. Good advice. Um, on the talking about mistakes people make, what are the mistakes people make when it comes to exercise and stress management mm. and sleep? Oh, whoa. <laughs> Those are three big ones. Yeah. <laughs> um, so exercise first. I One mistake I would say I kind of already touched on is that people use exercise as kind of their first tool in their toolbox for weight loss, which is going to be an uphill battle. So I would say stop doing that. Turn to nutrition first and foremost. But another one would probably be not incorporating enough strength training into your routine. I think especially for women, I don't know about you, but when I grew up at different gyms and things, it was always the men in the weight section and the women on the treadmills and the ellipticals and the stairmasters. But really the more muscle you have on your body, whether you're male or female, the more fat your body is going to burn at rest because muscle is more metabolically efficient than fat. So you really want your goal, especially as you're aging, to stay strong and nimble and you know, able to pick things up and get up the stairs. You want to have strength. You want to have muscle on your body. And that can be also very beneficial for fat burning. I would say strength training is the most supportive form of exercise for weight loss. Not our first thing we're going to turn to, but the most supportive um, type of exercise if weight loss is your goal. In terms of stress management, um, kind of going back to my podcast, I this woman comes to mind who is a psychologist in New York City, Ellen Vora. And to, her answer to this question was often to manage our stress, we kind of fall into this idea that we have to do all of these self-care things. We have to do the bubble baths or the massages, or there's all of these kind of trite messages out there now about what it means to manage your stress and to practice self-care. But her advice, and I think this is very wise, is just really to do less, to say no to things, to set boundaries, and to give yourself space to do nothing sometimes, or to find those things that work for you, whether it's reading a book or going for a walk, but not trying to add in all those things on top of all the things you're currently doing, really taking a step back and thinking, what are the most critical pieces of my life right now? What do I want to keep? What am I doing that maybe I can start saying no to? And then how can I introduce activities even like phoning a friend or, you know, it doesn't have to be the bubble bath <laughs> manage to manage your stress or uh, again, like nutrition. I think there's a bunch of stuff out there that's really, it could work for some people, but you have to figure out what works for you. And then sleep. Did you say sleep also? Yes. Sleep yeah. as well. Uh, I think something really important to know. And again, it's kind of the more, you know, the more educated choices you're able to make. And that's, I think, why I felt frustrated the majority of my 20s, because I was trying to make educated choices, but I didn't really know what I was supposed to be doing. Um, but realizing that just one night of poor sleep 
can affect your hunger and cravings the next day. Just one night of poor sleep, research suggests, may even cause a person to eat upwards of 500 extra calories that next day because sleep is so critical for so many bodily processes, but especially for kind of managing your hunger cues, your hunger hormones. Um, so just being aware of that, that's not to say we're all gonna get perfect sleep all the time, but just having that knowledge and knowing, oh, I didn't sleep well last night. I only got six hours and I woke up twice. And today I feel extra kind of snacky and I'm craving a bunch of sugar. Just knowing that that's the reason you feel that way could help you make more educated choices and choose more protein that day so that you're filling yourself up, mm. prioritizing protein at snacks as well. And it's not to you know, feel bad that you have all these cravings. It's just physiologically, you didn't sleep well. So that's why that's happening. And now you have that awareness and you're able to react to it accordingly. That's a great answer. Yeah. Thank you. Thank and you. why is it important not to eliminate entire food groups like carbs and, and give up cheat foods? Again, I think just the binge restrict cycle would come into play again. So people try because that's what diet culture tells us to do. They say, you've got to eliminate your favorite foods, all sugar, or you've got to cut all carbs. And it's not helpful to do that because you're human and you're probably going out on date nights. You're going to happy hours. You're going to restaurants with friends and it's not going to be sustainable long-term to go without something like carbs or something like sugar, at least not for me. <laughs> so yeah. the trick is figuring out how to include all foods in moderation. I like to say that all foods can fit, but all foods can't fit all of the time, right? So I'm not just saying like, you can eat nachos and ice cream, every single day, all day. And that's totally fine. It's again, back to that continuum. If you're eating the most nutritious things, the majority of the time, you're allowing yourself that space to enjoy less nutritious things, treats, indulgences, whatever you want to call them that kind of fill you up in a different way. They give you, you know, that joy factor of life and socialization, you know, you get to enjoy the dessert that the table is sharing. It's not like you have to say, I can't eat that. I'm not eating any sweets right now. And that's how you're able to lose weight while loving life. I say, I actually have a free guide that I just created called lose weight while loving life, because contrary to popular belief, it is possible. I love, I love that. that. <laughs> we said that together, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> it, it may not come out that way, but <laughs> have you changed your mind about anything regarding nutrition and weight after working with clients and also keeping up with current research? Yeah, I think uh, I mentioned that originally I did the kind of no sugar, no grains thing, because that's what I had read in that book. And that's what I tried in my late twenties and it did work. I guess you could even call that sort of a keto or no carb eating pattern, but 
when I was doing that, I, I was also doing all this research and I started working with clients and I really didn't want to tell people like you can't eat carbs or eat sugar. Um, so I decided to figure out like, is there a way that you don't have to cut things out and you can still be successful? And the answer is yes, there is. So I think I've changed my mind. I used to be much more kind of in the low, very low carb or no carb world or no sugar world. And that's not to say, you know, sugar is the healthiest and you should eat sugar all the time. But I do think that I want to live my life to the fullest. And what's the point of looking and feeling my best if I'm not going to do so while living my best, right? I want to Mm -hmm. take part in all of the enjoyable things. And sometimes that's food. So I think I've changed my mind about that, that you don't, you don't have to go to kind of any type of extreme. So I have a, a question for you, but I think you answered this one too, which is why is having better willpower a losing strategy when it comes to weight loss? So willpower Self-control, some people call it, or motivation. A lot of times people are relying on these things. And then they're saying, I don't have enough willpower, or I don't have enough motivation, or I felt motivated last week and I don't feel motivated this week. So I just can't do anything. The thing to realize is that these are all finite resources. I actually uh, was sent a book, I think it was a gift years ago, called Willpower Doesn't Work. And I loved the title and it was a quick read. But The whole premise of the book is exactly that, that it's a finite resource and it's always going to run out. So you can't rely on something like willpower uh, or motivation to do the healthy things. So for example, I do strength training usually three times a week. I would say the number of times I feel like doing it is (laughs) zero. (laughs) Zero. I really don't like doing strength training. I really don't. Like if I could go the rest of my life and get the benefits from exercise by sitting on my couch and watching a TV show or reading a book, then I would be fine with that. I just don't naturally gravitate towards exercise. Um, And it's much easier for me to kind of sustain nutrition habits than it is exercise habits. So I know that about myself and I've become very self-aware, but I also know I can't rely on my motivation or my willpower to do something like exercise that I don't want to do. So what you should rely on instead is the systems you put into place. So for me, a system is putting strength training into my Google calendar three times a week, being very specific in the description of exactly what it is I'm going to do that day, setting a time for it, and then seeing it on my calendar, like a meeting that I have with you on this podcast or with a client and realizing I have committed that 30 minutes of time to do this quick strength training workout. I'm going to hold that meeting with myself as important as the one with you or with a client. And that is a system I put in place so that I don't have to fall back on something like willpower or motivation because I'm not going to feel that (laughs) ever. So smart. Yeah, that's very good is if you can force yourself to follow your calendar for that half hour. <laughs> exactly. I know. And Instead then, of like going outside and sitting, looking at the view. <laughs> I know. And then, you know what? Some days 
most of the time I'll stick with it. But then there are some days that I think I'm going to just go for a walk today because I didn't sleep last night or, you know, I have that time set aside. So maybe I don't always do the exact thing, but I still have that structure in place that helps me stay on track most of the time. And what you do most of the time matters anyway. So yes, not such you just... good advice. Okay. Yeah. And also, can you tell us what are some tips for what to eat to lose weight as opposed to restricting what you eat? Right. I teach a kind of template style of eating and going back to me being a teacher in the three A approach, I have an acronym for this as well, which is PPFV, which stands for protein, produce, fat, and volume. And I won't get into all of the specifics on each of those. Actually, in my free guide that I mentioned, Lose Weight While Loving Life, it shows you examples of plates and it breaks down why this is so important. Um, so people could obviously download that. That's on my website. But that's what you want to eat. Most of the time, you want to eat protein, as I mentioned, because it's the most filling macronutrient. You want to get a lot of produce, especially through non-starchy veggies. Healthy fats also help keep you full. So you want to include, I say about one to two tablespoons of healthy fat at every meal. And then volume is kind of this best kept secret that people aren't talking about. The more volume you get, the more you stretch your stomach a bit. We're not talking stretch your stomach after Thanksgiving meal, not that type of stretch, but just a gradual little slight stretch of the stomach actually increases your hormone that tells you you're full and decreases your hormone that says you're hungry. So eating enough volume or drinking enough volume, like through water is critical for weight loss because you're, you're actually controlling your hunger and your satiety, your I'm full hormone. So that you're not just feeling hungry all the time, because if you're hungry all the time, you're probably going to eat in a calorie surplus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Super, super. Oh, that's such and, great advice. And Brooke, you mentioned your website and the free download. And can you tell our listeners, what is your website? What's the website address? Yeah. So thehealthinvestment.com, super easy. And on the website, I think on the homepage, hopefully if I, if I've updated it, there should be links to the free guide also to one-on-one -on -one coaching. There's an, a Google form application for that, for my membership and the podcast. So it's kind of streamlined. And then I'm also super active on Instagram. I post tips and tricks and videos on there pretty much daily. That's kind of the only social media I'm extremely active on. The others I dabble in now and then, but uh -huh. um, yeah, I'd say my website or Instagram, I'd love to connect with you and please don't hesitate to email me or reach out on Instagram. People will say, I don't want to bother you, but anyone is, you're never a bother. I love that social part of social media. I think people forget we're real humans behind yeah, there. And I, I love- do too. Yeah. I, I love when people reach out and say, Hey, I heard you on a podcast. This part spoke to me or ask me a question. Like really don't be shy. <laughs> yeah. Good. Thank you so much, Brooke. Our guest today on Late Boomers has been Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and weight loss expert. Thank you. You can find Brooke on Instagram, as she said, and her account on there is also called 
The Health Investment. And check out her podcast, The Health Investment Podcast. Thank you, Brooke. Oh, thank you. So, oh, sorry. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> and we want to remind our listeners to follow us on Instagram at I am Kathy Worthington and at I am Mary Elkins and on our Late Boomers Instagram. Also write to us on our website, lateboomers.biz, B-I-Z, and give us some feedback on our podcast. We want to inspire, serve, and entertain you. Thanks again so much, Brooke. Thank you for having me. I really appreciated this conversation. Thank you for joining us on Late Boomers, the podcast that is your guide to creating a third act with style, power, and impact. Please visit our website and get in touch with us at lateboomers.biz. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes of Late Boomers, go to ewnpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast sites. We hope you make use of the wisdom you've gained here and that you enjoy a successful third act with your own style, power, and impact. Calling all speakers. E-Women Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help 1 million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven-module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand, and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.